You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. We highlight the stories of native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity and pleasure to connect with rising scholar and current doctoral student, Aya Waller Bay, who joined us on the podcast this week, spoke about her love and appreciation for growing up in Detroit, her travels across the globe, and what it means to take advantage of opportunities that are presented to you. Aya is a proud graduate of Georgetown University, where she earned her degree in sociology. She is also a graduate of the University of Cambridge, located in England, where she completed her master's of philosophy degree in education. But most of all, she is a current doctoral student at the University of Michigan, where she is pursuing her degree in sociology. I enjoyed this episode very much. As a person who enjoys networking, it was an honor to connect with the networking queen, as I refer to herself as... But what I enjoy most about this episode is learning about Aya's background, her travels across the globe, and what it means to just simply shoot your shot. She speaks about this a great deal. She also covers her experience as a first-generation doctoral student at the University of Michigan and the community that she's been able to build. And this is one episode that I hope that you are taking notes. I hope that you are listening closely. And and let's jump into that conversation with Aya Waller Bay. All right, this is Detroit Worldwide, and joining us today is scholar and current doctoral student at the University of Michigan, Aya Waller Bay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Happy to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, and, and go blue. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. How's the weather up there? It is now fall, it seems like. We are in low 70s right now, so it's like it's pretty chilly. I went for a run earlier, and I was like, okay, it's cold out here, so okay. it's chill. <laughs> Depending on people's preference of weather, that can be a good or a bad thing, but Aya is doing some fantastic work. She is a current doctoral student. I believe you're studying sociology, is that correct? Yes, sociology. And just seeing her on social media, she is a part of the First Gen uh, Docs community on Twitter where they do chats on a fairly regular basis. And just kind of seeing her tweets and learning about her background has been fascinating to see. So wanted to have her on the podcast, talk about some of the things that she's doing and really just for you all to get to know her. So before we get started, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your background and some of the work that you're currently doing. Okay, sure. So background, Detroit native, proud graduate of Renaissance High School. Grew up primarily on the west side of Detroit. I'm a first-generation college student. I studied at Georgetown University in D.C. for undergrad. I studied sociology there, did some social justice work there as well. And then I had the opportunity to work a year as an admissions officer there as well, which really changed the trajectory of my life professionally and academically. 
I was fortunate to receive the Gates Cambridge Scholarship and went to the University of Cambridge in England for my master's and then transitioned to Phoenix where I worked at Arizona State University and University of Innovation. And now I am a second year PhD student at University of Michigan Ann Arbor where I study the experiences of Black college applicants in the college admissions process. You are quite the world traveler. I didn't know about the Arizona thing. I remember reading your bio, seeing the Georgetown and then Cambridge. That's where you received your uh, master's degree. Is it philosophy? Philosophy of education. Philosophy of education. And then returning to Michigan. Now, yeah, you like I said, you're quite the world traveler. You went to different parts of the country and then, of course, outside of the country. And yeah, wow, that, that's amazing. So... Kind of going off of that, I was wondering if you can talk about your experience growing up in Detroit. I know you mentioned you were a graduate of Renaissance and you were also a Detroit West Side native, but what was your experience like growing up in the D? Yeah, so my experience growing up in Detroit was, it was a difficult one. So Detroit represents a lot of things for me. You know, I grew up in not a nice area, if you will. It was very under-resourced. I grew up... <laughs> I like the Dexter Linwood area for a while, then I was in the Joy Row area for a while, then I was in retirement. We started moving around a lot. There was mm. some instability. But I always say that, particularly when I grew up in that area for elementary school, the Dexter Linwood area, it was just a strong emphasis on community. And that mm. was that time where people lived in the community where they attended school. So, you know, walking to school and knowing my neighbors and my neighbors knowing us and having that strong community. My grandfather and my grandma lived four blocks away on Tuxedo. So, I really miss that type of community and warmth that the neighborhood had, despite all the other, you know, it being a food desert and not really having access to like fresh foods and stuff and just, you know, having some financial difficulties. But Detroit, you know, represents resilience for me. And when I left for college, I actually said I wasn't coming back because of how difficult my upbringing was. But mm -hmm. being back in Michigan has been a beautiful homecoming, if you will. And, and I love it. So, and I've didn't realize how much I missed it until I came back. Just thinking about the different areas that you had mentioned, Dexter Linwood area, I think you said Joy, Tyreman, and different areas in between. I'm just thinking like, oh yeah, I know a lot of those areas. And the Dexter Linwood area, you said you had a lot of family over there and it felt like it was a sense of community, you said. What did that look like for you? Just kind of going back to that point that you made. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just like knowing the neighbors, right? And being able to walk to your friend's house and your, like my parents knowing my friend's family and my teachers being able to like drop me off at home or my little brother's basketball coach, you know, coming to pick us up so we can go to the basketball games and et cetera. It was just knowing your neighbor's name, having them know you, knowing that there were people looking out for you. I think that was like a beautiful thing. And like, oh, I'm just going down to, you know, the Johnson's house. Not like my parents knowing where that was, right? Or being able to stay out late because the ice cream truck was going to come around at 10. And like, you know, <laughs> it was just like a real strong, like sense of community. And that I, I remember those times vividly. And that's right before people started to move down south my friends, you know, started to pack up and move to Atlanta and various cities in Texas and Kentucky because of the economic downturn. So right before that time, is, uh, I remember that vividly. Now, as a follow-up question, and I know you mentioned that you are a graduate of Renaissance High School. Yeah. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about how did growing up in the D influence you to continue your education after high school? Yeah, you know, I had always been a considered a high-achieving student. Some of my earliest memories were, you know, reciting Langston Hughes poetry and, and Head Start, actually. Wow. Um, 
And I, I had educators in my life who took a liking to me and saw that there was something special and encouraged and challenged me and pushed me. So I went to a, you know, like a neighborhood elementary school, if you will. But my counselors and teachers were like, you need to go to a magnet school. You know, you are exceptional. Your test scores are high and et cetera. But I was always getting all A's and I, I applied to go to Halley Magnet Middle School, one of the, the magnet schools. Unfortunately, I don't think Halley is open anymore. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah. And Halley served as a feeder. Halley, Bates, Ludington, those schools kind of served as feeder schools for Renaissance. And I wanted to go to a college preparatory school. I actually wanted to go to one of the independent schools, the Cranberries Country Days, but that didn't work out as far as cost. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did like some college preparatory programs. I did one at Princeton and high school and just like those programs I was just kind of surrounded quite frankly by people who went to college I mean at particularly at Renaissance it is a college preparatory school my peer college and you know I was just like I'm at that point in my life I just wanted to get out of Detroit I was like I just need to get out of here and I just always loved school I've always been a learner so the educators really in my life really kind of pushed me to pursue for sure. Now, kind of going through your background a little bit, one thing that I found very fascinating is that you affirmed wanting to look at Ivy League schools. And I think you had an email address back in high school. What was your email address again? <laughs> <laughs> it was IvyLeagueBound at gmail.com. I was such a mess. Or <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I wanted to go to an Ivy League school or a very selective school. So that's why I had an email address. <laughs> But nonetheless, you went to Georgetown University, correct? Mm -hmm. I did, yep. Georgetown is a private institution, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It is private and Jesuit or Catholic. A highly selective school, not an Ivy League, highly selective. But yeah, Georgetown was the most, I I would say five years because I worked a year as an admissions officer. The most, like most amazing five years of my life. I had a blast. I loved being in D.C. I loved the university and a culture committed to service. My friends, I mean, my professors. I mean, I had a fantastic time at, at Georgetown. I loved it. For sure. And going back to one of my earlier questions about um, you living in Detroit and the community, what did community look like for you in Washington, D.C., particular on your college campus at Georgetown University when you first arrived as a first generation college student? That's a great question. So I think Georgetown did a lot of things actually before I came to campus that illustrated there was going to be a solid community for me, not only as a first gen student, but as a, a black student. So when I got admitted, they had like this free fly in program for like admitted students of color so they flew me out and I went down in like April my senior year and then I met other students of color from all over the country and my host actually lived in like an affinity house called the Black House where I stayed with her she was from Metro Detroit she went to Southfield High School Mm -hmm. and knowing her and seeing her and seeing someone who's familiar from like from the Detroit metro area was really dope and I always tell a story perhaps it's not a good like academic story to tell but I remember me and all the high school students there was a party there was like a Q probate at Georgetown (laughs) there was was a party and we went to the party because you know our host was like come to this party and we get to the door and they're like oh it's you know five dollars or ten dollars and all the students were like oh we don't really have any money like we are you know high school students and they were like wait y'all are here for Hoya Saxa weekend which is the name of the weekend and we were like yeah and they're like oh you don't have to pay come on inside and like just that (laughs) I was like look at these people looking out for us you know I didn't know them they just saw you know students of color and primarily black students here to kind of participate in the social space and and they were very well 
welcomed me. So that was just like an example. And I was actually a part of the community scholars program. So thinking explicitly about community, which was like a, a perhaps like a version of a summer bridge program, if you will, but specifically for first gen and low income students or students from like rural areas or high schools that did not send a lot of students to Georgetown. So I spent five weeks before my first semester at Georgetown in DC meeting with other young people, taking classes, getting familiar with campus. And those people that I met during that program, I mean, some of them are my best friends to this day. So it did a really good job of solidifying, like, not only do you deserve to be here, here are other people who look like you that you can build relationships with. And that has been super important to me and continues to be a very important value to me. You said a lot of valuable information there. And the thing that I'm stuck on, and I didn't want to cut you off as you were talking, is the fact that they flew you out there. I'm like, damn, they did that. <laughs> Just <laughs> I was caught off guard by that, but in a good way. But also hearing about the initial community building you were able to do, you are able to connect to somebody from the Metro Detroit area and connect to other people. You said through the Summer Bridge program for, you said five weeks, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, five weeks. And and I use the Summer Bridge language because that's how people kind of associate this, those types of programs. It's mm -hmm. not considered a bridge program in like a traditional sense. Gotcha. I think sometimes those have like a negative connotation, but it, it was specifically a program for, you know, a lot of first-gen, low-income students of color primarily to just give students more exposure to the university to help ease the transition. So, and it's a program that I, I, I value and I donate to and then try to help out as, you know, as much as I can, because it, it really changed, I feel like, my, my my experience at Georgetown in a very, very positive way. For sure. And your initial major, was it sociology where you earned your degree in, at Georgetown? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So how did you go about pursuing that degree? Yeah. So I didn't know what sociology was, frankly. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> I think people do, really, in just like everyday life. No one really knows what that means. And I came in undeclared, like most Georgetown students. And during that summer program that I talked about, the Community Scholars Program, we um, took classes and they really put you in class based on the academic interests you may have like noted. So if you talked about you wanted to go into medicine, you would have taken like a biology class. Or if you wanted to talk study econ, they probably would have put you in an econ class. But I didn't really name, I don't think a discipline per se. And they put me in that class and we read this book called Savage Inequalities by Jonathan Kozel and that book changed my life and it really kind of talked about the education inequalities and in, in major cities I think based in, in like the 80s or perhaps 90s and that class was a, you know it really changed my perspective I found that the literature gave me the language to kind of articulate some of the things that I had experienced growing up in Detroit some of the things I witnessed and I was like this is this is where it's at so I guess fortunate I knew by that point that I wanted to study sociology and was able to, you know, pursue that for the rest of my Georgetown career. I see after the end of this episode, we might have to put some footnotes for books because I'm not sure if I've heard that book, but I'm very interested in reading. So we may have to talk offline about that and you may have to tell me more about that book and because I'm, I'm also a reader as well. So okay. appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, for sure. So you go to Georgetown University, you graduate with your sociology degree. Yeah. Did you then become an admissions counselor or did you have like some other work experience following graduation? Yeah, so I always tell this story because I think this is very scary to people to graduate from an elite institution and be unemployed. But I had an offer to work for Teach for America, I think October of my senior year, and I decided to turn it down. And as a result, I spent the rest of my senior year kind of thinking about what type of jobs I was interested in. I did an externship 
with like the Entertainment and Media Alliance and, and at Georgetown. I went to New York City during my senior year spring break and like visited CNN and all these entertainment and media companies to see if that was the type of space I wanted to be in. But ultimately I graduated without a job and I knew I wanted to go back to school. And I knew that Georgetown, like a lot of universities, had tuition assistant benefits. So if you stay there, you work a year in a hole, if you will, then they'll pay for your degree, your master's or whatever degree you want. So I was like, I'm gonna do that. And I also had worked kind of, I knew about admissions roughly. I had done a lot of work for students of color, diversity, equity, and I just shot my shot. Like I applied for the job. I feel like I applied maybe on a Wednesday, I you know, had an offer to for an interview on Friday. The interview was like mm. on the Monday and then I got the job. So it happened rapidly. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's how that admissions thing came about. So I, you know, as soon as I graduated, which was like May 17th or 18th, right by my birthday, within the next month, I was had a job in admissions. Okay. So you work in admissions, and I'm always curious about admissions background because I feel like admissions is one of those jobs that you do where you get a variety of skills, a variation of things that you're doing. It prepares you and propels you for more work down the line. So curious to hear about like your most valuable time in admissions or just like an important takeaway that you got from working in admissions. Yeah, absolutely. I would self-identify as a people person. I'm a networking queen. I can talk to any space. <laughs> I can laugh with the best of them. I can ha-ha over a glass of wine and champagne with anybody anywhere. Admissions taught me how to be diplomatic, if you will. Mm. So during some of our presentations, we will receive questions from parents or students or, you know, prospective parties, nonprofit. CBOs and whatever. And they'll ask questions and sometimes the questions look like they were tinged with a little negativity or that they were asking you something to kind of trip you up or kind of do a getcha, gotcha kind of thing. And it just taught me how to be able to handle those types of people, those types of energies, those types of questions. And also to be like, I don't have the answer to that question, but let me figure it out, right? Or let me, mm -hmm. I can get back to you on that. So being able to admit that I didn't have the answer and also being able to, you know, handle those various personalities. So that was a super, super valuable experience. I did a lot of public speaking, which is something I enjoy. So, I mean, I was in front of audiences. And it can be, it could have been 10 people, it could have been 200 people very often. And I think that's a very, very valuable skill. And as far as like professionally, I mean, again, and academically, that experience, seeing the disparities and college admissions, access to admissions, et cetera, informed my now dissertation or research agenda, if you will. So it all, that trajectory, that experience was very, very valuable in, in my life. Yeah, I was going to say, you have a beautiful speaking voice, and I think I shared this with you on your website, one of the videos that you had received an award, and talking about what that award meant to you, but also talking about the meaning behind your name, like, wow, the missions, I can definitely hear it, and like I said, missions is one of those functional areas in higher education where you do a variety of things, really. I mean, you have to think on your feet, you have to interact with the public on a regular basis. There's so many things that you do, and I appreciate 
anybody that's worked in admissions because yeah, you all are superheroes in a way. <laughs> Representing the underpaid too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna argue against that. I'm <laughs> definitely will not. So kinda going off the admissions, you were were you also the coordinator for African American recruitment or some somewhere along those lines? Yeah, so it was like multicultural recruitment, but I was specifically did like African American recruitment as well. So in addition to, I guess. So were you like able to travel to different parts of the DMV or were you traveling across the country? Yeah, so in our office, all the admissions officers, I think there were like 16 of us, were assigned a region. And actually, so in addition to doing the multicultural recruitment stuff, I was assigned to four states in the Midwest. So I actually read from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois. Wow. Which was one of the dopest things was being able to travel to Renaissance and like, you know, and then read students' applications from Detroit and, and from Renaissance and, and et cetera. So that was like amazing to be able to do that and have a full circle moment, if you will. I was going to say, how dope was that for you to come, as you mentioned, full circle, being a graduate of Renaissance and then now coming back with your college degree and encouraging other students to pursue higher education? Like, what did that feel like? So, I mean, you're so great in an ideal sense. I mean, I love that opportunity to be able to give back in that way and to be able to connect with people. However, in practice, the actual like experience of coming back was not what I envisioned, you know, I love Renaissance, but it has changed a great deal since I left, you know, nine years ago. So the reception was not how I envisioned it to be. However, I just like the idea of kind of being in spaces where I'm able to give back or create pathways and pipelines for people who look like us. So I just think generally in that role, I feel very kind of grateful and fortunate, especially as someone, I was only 22 years old at the time. So I had a lot of power, if you will, in that role. And I really love, you know, being able to come back to Michigan and go to Cass and, you know, some of the suburban schools. I mean, like I grew up in Detroit, you know, for people to see me, someone who looks like them in that space was super dope. So you go to Georgetown, get your degree, work in his mission counselor and then after that did you then decide to go to graduate school yeah so i always knew i wanted to go to graduate school i'm quoted saying in a number of like interviews and stuff i want to be oprah with the phd that was always like <laughs> model if you will uh, so i knew i wanted to go i wasn't sure at that time if sociology was going to be disciplined education had become something that was super important to me and actually my undergraduate like thesis was about like hip-hop and education as a sociologist so my degree at cambridge was technically education they just Masters of Philosophy is just like how they classify their degrees. Okay. But I studied education in particular. And I actually continued my research on like hip hop and education there. So I, I knew, I knew that's what I wanted to do. The path wasn't linear, which is like, you know, the way life works, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so happy that I took time off. But once I realized that, you know, Georgetown didn't have a master's in education or sociology, I knew I needed to look at institutions. And then someone told me about the Gates Cambridge Scholarship. And, you know, I talked to my mentor about it and she was like, you can get that scholarship. And she was like, you, you know, more than qualified. So I applied and, and I got it. And next thing I know, I was across the pond drinking tea and eating crumpets with the, you know, the British folks. So, <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's super dope. And I wanted to ask you about that. A person coming from Detroit, the things that you had mentioned, the things you experienced earlier in our conversation. What was that experience like? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. Oh, I, I okay. loved I loved it so much. I love Cambridge. I mean, it was just like, wow. It, it wasn't something that I envisioned I was going to do, but not because I didn't think it was accessible or attainable. It was just like, I didn't think I was going to apply to Cambridge. You know, I just didn't yeah. think I was going to go to school outside the country. So it was really a case of me saying like, I'm going to shoot my shot, right? Like, I think I'm qualified for this and I'm just going to submit this application. You know, I got the interview and I prepared and I showed up in that interview and I did what I had to do. And, you know, I got this fully funded master's by, shout out to Bill and Melinda. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, next thing you know, I'm like literally in this fairy tale Harry Potter land you know, with people from all over the world, you know, doing well, right? So I also had a fantastic time academically. And, you know, I was able to try, I love to travel. So I was able to travel a lot, you know, once I was in England. It was just a fantastic, very different culturally. It's very hard to like articulate what it was like because it, it, I felt like I was in a fairy tale. Just the way it looks, the, how old the buildings are, the people, the energy. It's a very interesting institution, but I, I feel very fortunate to have attended. So I loved it. In an unrelated note, but still related to everything that you mentioned, were you able to chronicle your experiences, like journaling at all or social media? Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, I definitely shared quite a bit about my experience. But like my Instagram, I wrote a reflection I cuffed to Post UK during like May 2016, where I kind of talked about some of the challenges of being first-gen, low-income, Black, all these identities, and then being at this elite institution and just feeling kind of guilty, if you will. The piece is called Survivor's Guilt, but I kind of talk about mm -hmm. what it means to be at one of the most you know, elite institutions in the world and then having to try to support my family and, you know, being able to enjoy, have a passport and be, you know, traveling to Italy and all this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and why they're struggling in, here in the city. So, yeah, so I, I chronicle get chronicle it, Lord, I can't even say, say what I'm trying to <laughs> But I was able to talk about it in various ways and in various mediums. So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned being over there. Were you there for the typical two years that it takes to complete a graduate program? Or were you there longer? No, the master's at Cambridge for a year. So I was oh, there. Okay. I, I was there for less than a year, actually. My program was like nine months. Okay. Yeah, so I was and there about 10 months, I think. So in between time, were you able to make it back home at all? Or did you stay there for the duration of that degree? Yeah, I stayed there the whole time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And then for like breaks and stuff, I just traveled around Europe. I had two friends from Detroit, from Renaissance actually, visit me. One came for Christmas and we, we did Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Netherlands. And then I had another person visit me around St. Patrick's Day and we just hit up London and Cambridge and some other small towns. So, stuff around. That's, that's dope. I know you still travel. I live vicariously through you and some of your social media posts, but that's still dope that you were able to do that and also bring your friends out there. Mm -hmm. So following the completion of your degree at Cambridge, what was next? Yeah, so that was tough. That year following my degree was actually very difficult. So I wanted to stay at Cambridge for my PhD and I got accepted, but I didn't get funding. So I decided to not stay, but I just didn't think it was worth taking out, I don't know, $20,000 for loans or whatever for oh, a damn. Find a PhD. Yeah, so I decided to come back to the US and then I actually applied, I just applied to fellowships like all the time. So I applied to a fellowship called the Endeavor Fellowship and it funds programs in Australia and and I applied to the University of Sydney and I got in and then I was waiting to hear back from Endeavor from the fellowship. So 
During the meantime, I uh, decided to create like a website to just kind of share or disseminate some of the experiences and information I've learned during my time in admissions because I always get hit up about college admission stuff. So I just wanted to have an aggregate of the information. So I threw that on there. So I was doing that. And then I came back to D.C., worked again at Georgetown, advising people on fellowships. So I was just like doing a lot of like in-between things to kind of fill time. And then I got heard back about the Endeavor Fellowship and I didn't get that one. So I was like, okay, so I thought I was going to be in D.C. for only six months, but now I'm going to be here for another year. Yeah, so I was just like really trying to figure out because I knew I wanted to go back to school. Like I, that was like what I was always working towards. And then I found out about another fellowship <laughs> at Arizona State University called the University Innovation Fellowship. And it was for people interested in like higher ed, but particularly managing strategic partnerships with the university and various corporate and nonprofit partners to advance access to education. So I was like, you know, I'm single. I, you know, I, I don't have children. I'm no, I'm very nomadic. And I was like, let me apply to that. And then I got it. And then I moved to Phoenix. <laughs> Had never been in Phoenix in my entire life. You know, I moved there and, st- you know, started this fellowship. You know, I didn't have any friends there. Didn't know, know anybody. I had to find an apartment, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so that it was a lot of things happening in that in-between time between Cambridge and then this PhD program. Sorry, I know that was a lot. <laughs> No, that was not a lot. I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that you were in Arizona and I was wondering just kind of in my mind, like, okay, I've never been to Arizona. I don't think I want to go to Arizona. No, all the kidding aside, but you were in Arizona for a little bit. What was your experience like there? How long were you there? Yeah, so my fellowship was a 13-month commitment. So I was there for 13 months. You know, Arizona and specifically Phoenix and the Phoenix metro area did not really vibe well with mine. (laughs) I do not really enjoy living there. I actually think it's too hot. And I I know people say it's dry heat and blah, blah, blah. It was just so hot. I, I don't own a car. I've committed to living a carless life. And I just, just walking outside, I thought I was like being in an oven. It was just horrible. And the people were just very interesting. I mean, it was just like an interesting like style, temperature, energy, culture. And it just did not vibe well with my spirit. So, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as I, I knew that, again, I was always working to apply to PhD program. So I started my fellowship in July 2017. And, you know, in the fall time, I started the PhD application process. So I was already planning to, to transition once I completed my, my fellowship. For sure. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, or rather, I probably should have asked you about this experience, but, you know, coming from Arizona, you said it didn't necessarily vibe with your spirit and, I mean, on top of it being hot, nonetheless. But I forgot to ask you, as you were talking about your undergrad, how did it feel living in D.C. as a black person? Because I've only visited D.C. like maybe once or twice, but I've always felt like a sense of empowerment. How did you feel as a black person living in the D.C. area? Oh, I love DC. It's like my second home. I mean, it's just dope, you know? It's crazy because when I would visit D.C. for like Georgetown events while I was living in Phoenix, every time I hit the airport, like D.C.A., the Reagan airport, I just felt I saw my people because also didn't have a lot of black people either. So like oh, yeah. D.C. and then being back in the Chocolate City and even though it was being gentrified. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see my people like I missed it so much. You know, same thing, like leaving Phoenix and coming to Detroit and just seeing like our brothers and sisters. And I'm like, yeah, I missed this. So, yeah, D.C. was great. D.C. is like a college town. It's not something. I knew until I went to college there, but 
when you're a black person at DC and you're a college student, people, everybody assume you go to Howard, you know? So Howard <laughs> has a special place in my heart. My best friends from Renaissance went to Howard. So I spent, particularly the first two years uh, as I was adjusting, I spent a lot of time at Howard, going to events, supporting my friends, going to parties, meeting their friends who are now my friends to this day. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I loved it. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. You really are the networking queen. <laughs> <laughs> You said meeting their friends and then becoming my friends. That's <laughs> I mean, my friends yeah. too, so. <laughs> okay, so transitioning back, you leave Arizona. Did you apply to Michigan? Was that like a place that you had wanted to go to or I had identified or were there other places in mind? Michigan was my top choice. I felt that I, at that point in my life, I wanted to return to the Midwest and particularly Michigan. I also had a beautiful niece and two beautiful nephews that I missed and had missed the earliest parts of their lives. You know, I, I had been away for, you know, eight, nine years. So yeah, so that was important. And then Michigan just happened to have the number one sociology program in the country, one of the most, you know, prestigious sociology departments in the country, fully funded, very reputable, and, you know, all of the kind of ingredients worked. And also, you know, I got, once I got accepted, I was, I was like, say less, you know, I knew I was coming. So yeah, so that's how I ended up back here in Michigan. So now that you're currently pursuing your doctoral degree and you're now back in the Midwest, how does that feel? What is it like being back home? It feels so good. Yeah, like you said, it's home, you know, and Detroit has changed so much. Like, I feel like a visitor oftentimes when I, especially if I'm in like mid to downtown area, it's just so many new things. And then it's so funny because people look at me here as like the residential, you know, expert on Detroit and they're asking all these things. And I'm like, well, when I was growing up, this was this, but now this is different. The names have changed. They call in neighborhoods something different. But, you know, I, a lot of my close girlfriends friends from high school they you know they purchase homes in Detroit they have businesses so you know and so I'm in town relatively often celebrating you know housewarmings for supporting their businesses seeing my family etc so it's been really great to have something to to come home to and it's just like roots right it's just there's a warmth there's a love there's an energy a resilience a pride in Detroit and I'm a proud Detroiter I rep it wherever I go I don't tolerate Detroit slander especially for people who come there it's a beautiful place you know and Detroit Detroiters are strong and they're bold and you know we get stuff done right so I love it I really I'm so happy that I decided to come back now so many things and I ask people this question and to me this question has a lot more meaning than it has in previous times but how has Detroit influenced the way that you see the world because you literally have been all over the world hmm. yeah I mean I I don't want to sound like a broken record but I think Detroit is just like a resilient place I feel like I'm as resilient as I am and as resourceful as I am because of the city you know that raised me if you will and then people in Detroit are hustlers and go-getters and I think that's just a part of our nature we always make a way out of no way and that's just been literally my my life's work you know being able to leverage my skills when I was down financially to reach out to people that I met and was like do you have a book you need me to edit and then you know next thing you know $1,700 to edit a book just being able to like use my networks and lever like leverage those networks to fulfill some of the things I need to get done I mean I, I learned that type of hustle and that resourcefulness from Detroit and growing up, with, you know, without having a lot and being able to turn a little into something big. So that's when I think of Detroit and when I think of how Detroit has influenced me, those are some of the, the ways. Do you feel like you've been able to leverage some of those things in relationship to your current experience as a doctoral student? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, absolutely. Again, this idea of like being a go-getter and shooting your shot, and that's that's what I that's what I do. I mean, there was a conference, a call for like papers for a conference in Amsterdam, and I, you know, I hit up one of the girls in my program, and I was like, do you want to co-author this, you know, abstract for this paper for this conference? It's going to be our first academic conference. So we did it, and we shot our shots randomly, and it got accepted. So we're going to Amsterdam in, in October to present at this conference. So even things like that, like feeling bold and embodied into to do these types of things definitely you know Detroit Detroit people are bold be flashy you know what I'm saying so that that's definitely kind of influenced the way I, I kind of navigate this program and take advantage of opportunities and then again not being afraid to speak up and speak out and be proud so definitely learned that from you know growing up in Detroit your, your story your, your drive your commitment your tenacity is inspiring it's encouraging and I just wanted to take that time to acknowledge that because you are as you say uh, a go-getter or I'm saying that you're a go-getter but not only that you really emphasize what it means to shoot your shot so you're very inspiring I'm appreciative of you being on here and sharing those things I wanted to take some time to say that to you thank you yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, being respectful of time, there's a couple more questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, talking about the trade or whatever. One of the things that we often ask our guests about music, I know that you are a person as well versed in books. I may ask you a question about books in a second, but. Okay, okay. It's cool. We gonna, I'm going to ask you both questions. But music wise, if you had to identify a song that best represents Detroit, what would that one song be? Yeah, so this is going to sound so random and it's not a song by a Detroit artist, but Donnell Jones and Left Eye, You Know What's Up, mm-hmm. that reminds me of Detroit. And, I, and why it does is because I love to dance. I love to line dance. So when that song comes on, no matter where I am, I feel like Detroiters just like unite and we all just start doing a hustle. Like, <laughs> I love that so much. Dude, I was in Costa Rica with my girlfriends and we was doing, we were hustling at like in a Jamaican club in the middle of the floor, you know? So that song, every time I hear, I'm like ready to hustle. It just reminds me of Detroit growing up and doing all the hustles, the bad girl hustles and like all the line dances and et cetera. So that song always makes me think of Detroit. Oh, yeah, for sure. That is a good song. That's a that's a dope cut. Yeah, it was going to come on Insta Head Nodder, Insta Head Nodder. Now, I do want to ask you, I know you're a very well-read, seem to be an avid reader. Mm-hmm. If you had to identify a book that had the greatest impact on you, what would that book be? Oh, child, the greatest. <laughs> I probably should have asked you this question or probably you should have said, I'm going to ask you a question about a book, but I know that you were well-versed in reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of books, but one that comes to mind because of how it's influenced the way I kind of pursue education, it's by Bell Hooks. It's called Teaching to Transgress. Mm. That book really kind of changed my approach to education and like my pedagogy and, and like how I respond in a classroom. I um, spent the summer actually teaching at Princeton with a nonprofit, and I thought of Bell Hooks and that and that book as I was engaging with my students and how important it was to value their voice and let them know that they could teach me things too, and I can be a learner in that space. So teaching and transgress, absolutely. Yeah, Bell Hooks is a great author. I've read a few of her books and cited some of her work in undergrad so I'll have to check that book out as well like I said you may have to give me a a book list I may have to pay for your services though uh, (laughs) to get a book list from you but nonetheless last couple of questions we'll kind of wrap up in a little bit so 
next question I want to ask you is what are you currently working on and how can we best support you as a community? Oh, great. I mean, so at this very moment, I'm studying for a very uh, important exam, but, you know, so I currently in my, my doctoral program, at least, I'm just, I'm still taking courses. I'll be teaching for the first time this this year. So I'll be Congratulations. Doing- Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I'll be working on some law and society stuff. That's the class I'm teaching for. But as far as outside that space, so one thing that I've been doing, again, leveraging the experiences and skill sets that I have is I've been supporting both high school students, college students, and then young professionals and like the mission space. So I have a website, iowallabay.com. And I mean, folks reach out to me to look at personal statements. I review and edit people's college personal statements. I also kind of help with professional materials. So cover letters and resumes. You know, a lot of the folks that I work with have successfully gotten to master's programs and PhD programs and et cetera. So that's currently some of the work that I'm engaging in, really trying to support people as they kind of navigate higher education and get more degrees. So. That is something that I'm, I'm always working on and, you know, trying to rebuild my website that lists some of the college admissions materials. That's something that I'm committed to doing before the year is over. So, yeah, that's I mean, that's how you can support me, I guess. You know, if you know someone who's applying to college or graduate school or an et cetera who needs some support, you know, reach out to me and I'll be happy to help them. I definitely appreciate you sharing that. And I love the fact that you are committed to helping the community, but not only that, just helping people to advance and whether they're going to a different stage of their life, vocational career, but also educationally as well. Like I love your commitment to just helping people. So thank you. Like I said, you're very inspiring. Story is inspiring to hear. So that gives me a great segue into our next question. And that is, I know that you're active on Twitter, fairly active on there, but where can people find you on the social media space if you would like to be found on the social media space? Yeah, I love to be found on social media space. I'm everywhere. Twitter, I tweet a lot. The Twitter community has been a very valuable community to me, especially since I started this program. As you mentioned at the start, I'm a part of like the first gen doc community and also just Black PhDs, PhD folks who study sociology. I've just learned so much. I literally learn about opportunities and fellowships and scholarships because people tweet them. So Twitter, you know, Aya underscore underscore Marie. Uh, Instagram as well. Instagram, you'll see a lot more of my traveling kind of photos. Um, about 17 countries in, I think now. So I'm always trying to go someplace new. So you can find me on Instagram as well. You can visit my website, iowallerbay.com, especially if you're interested in some of those services I mentioned earlier. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. I try to have a pretty visible social media presence. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that information. We will make sure that we get those in the show notes. So last question I want to ask you, I think you've answered this question in many of your responses, (laughs) but that question is, what does Detroit mean to you? What does Detroit mean to me? One word for me is just home. Detroit is home. Detroit is home. There we go. That's mm-hmm. simply put, Detroit is home. Well, I I appreciate you very much for taking the time out to connect with us, to converse with me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank you for 
encouraging me. I put something out on Twitter about wanting to continue my education at the doctoral level. And one of the first people to respond was this young lady right here. She gave me words of encouragement. What does that look like? And thinking about pursuing a, a advanced degree full time as a student. And she spoke about her experience. And I just appreciate you on a personal level because it helped to affirm some decision making. I'm still trying to decide nonetheless. But the fact that you were one of the first people to reach out and also just you showing support to the podcast. I appreciate you for doing that. I am very much intrigued by your background. I'm looking forward to seeing what's to come for you, particularly teaching and just other things that you're working on. And definitely you have a supporter in me. So thank you so much for coming on here. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and, and if you need more support or want to talk more about PhD programs, you know, you know how to find me. So I would love to help you. <laughs> For sure, for sure. So, on behalf of Aya, I am Marquise. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we will holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. <laughs>